as most of you probably know, that uh, the word amen doesn't mean the end, right? Although it used like that in the way we sing it at the end of some hymns, it sounds like the end, like that, right? But amen is a statement of, yes, I agree with that. That encourages me. I believe that. And I want to put my faith in that same statement. So, we needed to have said at the end of that glorious hymn sung, Amen. And so now we will. Then the people said, Amen. Were they really enthusiastic? <laughs> and the people said, Amen. Amen. There we go. Okay. We believe. What a precious truth sung to us. Uh, how encouraging that was and is. So we come to our last uh, treatment of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This is the introduction, uh, the prologue, it's called, uh, to the whole book of John. And in this prologue is contained the basic elements that you'll run into when you read the rest of John. So it introduces you to these and sets your appetite for the treasures that will be found in John. And you read it in the first verses that this one called the Word, which naturally tells you he's some expression of God or statement from God, as we'll read here in a minute. He was with God, but he was God. In fact, through him everything was created, we read. And then he showed light into this world, and the world fundamentally rejected him. Even his own people rejected him. But those who did believe in him, they became the children of God. That's what has brought us to verse 14. And the Word, this one who was with God and was God and created the world... And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Thus the reading of God's word. Last week we focused on verses 14 and 18 together. Uh, and now we're getting to the inside of the sandwich, so to speak. And, and we'll look at the middle verses, uh, uh, focusing on grace and truth. Let us pray. Lord, bless us as we come to your word that we may honor you in everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think. Oh Lord, grow us in our love and admiration of Jesus Christ, for it is in his name that we pray. Amen. I have a pause here because the clock is in a different place because we started at 10. 
So I'm trying to think, what does that mean for 1045? Okay, I think I got it. <clears throat> um, it's a quick math. So kiddos, we've got uh, four words, one big weird word to start with, probably the weirdest word we've ever had, and then three regular words after that. But our first word is hendias, I mean hendiadis. How many know what a hendiadis is? Oh, <laughs> I didn't either, really. Okay, so, uh, no. <laughs> it's, a, it's spelled H-E-N-D-I-A-D-Y-S. And we'll look at it here in a minute. But then your other words are boast, waves, and Annie. Boast, waves, and Annie. So in our introduction, we're going to talk about hendiadis. Uh, it's from the Greek... It, it means one through two, hen one dia through two dis. So it means one expression or, or, or phrase, it's broken into two words, hen So easy, uh, common uh, examples of this, you could say a cold wind blew down the hall. Or to make emphasis and to make it a little prettier, you could say the cold and the wind blew down the hall. Well, they weren't too, you know, cold came one way, wind came another. It's a cold wind, but it's a way to pull them apart and say it in a more lovely way. That emphasizes that the cold and the wind blew down the hall. Or you might say you're in a comfortable room and you'd say, oh, wow, it's nicely warm in here. You mean that the warm is, is nice. It's just the right warm. But that's not how we say it, is it? We don't say it. it's nicely warm in here. How do we say it? Say it together with me. It's nice and warm in here, right? Ah, oh, you were doing a hindiatus and didn't know. All right. So the reason I bring this up is that the way these two words, grace and truth, are used in the Old Testament, the background, they're kind of hindiatus. Both they really overlap so much and say such similar things that it's practically, you're saying the same thing with the two words. Uh, in the Old Testament, the way it comes to us again and again is that God describes himself as abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, we saw this word for steadfast love in Ruth, if you were ever there on a Sunday night. That's not, I'm not, I'm not shaming you because you were, if you'd been there on Sunday night. Um, but we did talk about this word, uh, and it's the word hesed, faithful love or, or steadfast love. It's also translated enduring love. But you already see in the idea of steadfast love, enduring love, it's the idea of faithfulness right? It's, it's a love that uh, is God's undeserved love that he gave to Israel, and she didn't deserve this love, but he set his love upon Israel, and he wouldn't take it away. That's why we call it his covenant love, his committed love. And then the word for truth in the Old Testament, this corresponds to a word called, uh, Hebrew word emet, which means faithfulness. And the, the tie-in is truth means trueness to his promise, the truth of his promise, 
the faithfulness of his promise. And so in his faithfulness, he binds himself to his people so unconditionally they can entrust themselves to God. And his, his emmet is his fidelity to his promises. But you see, they overlap so much. Steadfast love means his commitment to his promise. And then you have faithfulness to come in behind it. Um, so you might call them together a kind of gracious constancy or even a constant graciousness, unwavering love, promised love, never failing love, always present love, like saying really full of true love, <laughs> real love that never ends. It's sincere. It won't quit. The nothing can separate us from that love kind of love, right? So it's almost like steadfast love, you're saying it's faithful love, and then you add the other word. In case you didn't get it, faithful, <laughs> faithful love. You see in one place where they're used together in a beautiful way is a verse we know, uh, perhaps have memorized, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Almost that he could have gone back and said, great is your steadfast love. It never ceases. They never come to an end. It's never, it's new every morning. Great is your steadfast love. But instead he says, great is your faithfulness. It shows how close they are together. But the beautiful idea that he commits his love to those who don't deserve it and he never takes it away and he will never change. That's a comforting love. That's a love you can count on every single minute of every single day for the rest of your life and through eternity. Or you could ignore it. Or you could reject it. But that's what is so fully revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back. We're going to have three criticals, all right? The first critical is a critical beginning with this phrase. And it comes when Moses in this incredible time when he's face to face with God basically, not truly as God reflects here, but he is talking with God at the end of Exodus 33 and he says, I want you to show me your glory. And God says, I can't show my glory. I can't just reveal myself to you. You, can't, you couldn't take it. No one can see my glory. But he said, what I will do is I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and then I'll pass my glory beside you and I'll proclaim my name to you. So he's proclaiming his name. The name of God is the unveiling of everything that is. It's similar to glory, the outshining of all that God is. So he says, I'll pass by and you won't see my face. In a sense, he says, you'll see my backside, but I will proclaim to you my glory, my name. And when he passes by him in the next chapter and proclaims his name, he says this, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's my name. That's my glory. That's who I am. And so 
these phrases were used over and over in the Old Testament again and again, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It was like his username in the Old Testament, right? This is who God is, the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. This is what you can count on concerning God. In the Psalms and in the prophets, again and again, it's blared forth. This is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. And grace and truth here are the comparable statements in John of these verse of these uh, phrases. For instance, in Jeremiah 9, thus the Lord says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom or the mighty man boast in his might or the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. Don't boast in anything else that you have, anything that you own, anything that you are. Boast in this one thing that you know me. And if you know me, you know I'm the God of, of steadfast love, righteousness, and justice. So that's the critical beginning, the unveiling. This is who I am. And throughout the whole Old Testament, this blaring statement. I'm full of steadfast love and faithfulness. But now we have not the critical beginning, but the critical fulfillment in Christ Jesus. In some way, all of that talk of steadfast love and faithfulness in the Old Testament was just an anticipation and preview, a kind of movie trailer of the magnificent unveiling of God's love in Christ Jesus. And that's why he can say, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, we had tastes of it, wonderful, refreshing, life-sustaining experiences of this loving kindness and faithfulness. But still, it had not been and could not be revealed until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this username, in a sense, was kind of written small and in black and white, as glorious as it was, and then it burst forth in a rainbow of technicolor in the person of Jesus Christ. It says Moses did not see his face. He covered him with his hand. He said, you'll see my back and not my face. But in John 1.18, it says, no man, not even Moses, has seen God. But the one who's in his bosom, the one at the Father's side, he has made him known. This one who made the world, who himself is God, who was with God in the bosom of the Father, he has given in his own person, in his own works and words, an exposition of God. He's given a full report of who God is. He's told the whole story about God, a complete explanation in his own person, which obviously is this, God is full of grace and truth. We saw his glory. He's full of grace. God is full of loving kindness and faithfulness like we never knew, though we've heard about it. 
for so long. In him what no man has seen, now we see. The glory is revealed in its fullness and perfection in the person of Christ. That God would come in the flesh and he would take our sin upon himself and that he would bear the punishment for our sin and he would bear the wrath that we deserve away from us so that it wouldn't fall on us, but it would fall on him. And he would do that for sinners who don't care about him. Sinners who refuse him and despise him. You understand? And he did it for them as they were. Not after they cleaned up and everything and presented themselves in a nice way. Okay, you nice people, I'll die for you. There were no nice people as the Bible looks at it. We've all turned against him. There's no one who does good, not even one. And for those, he bore their punishment. And so we heard about steadfast love and faithfulness, but we, we, we never dreamed it would do this, that it's this deep, that it's this eternal, that this intense. But if you know, if you were an angel and you had beheld God all that time, still, it says that the angels even look at what God's done for the church to learn about who God is. And so this truth word also stands for reality. To say grace and truth, it means grace for real, the reality of grace. This is the new reality in which we live. We live in this world of grace, of faithful love, This defines who God is. It defines how we approach him and how we think about him, how we trust him. And then he says, he talks about the fullness. We've seen glories of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. It means that there's no longing for grace in our hearts that's left without immediate and complete supply of grace. His glory is that he is full of grace and truth. And when he says in verse 16 of his fullness we've received, it seems like John is saying we saw his glory, the fullness of grace and truth, because we received that fullness. We received grace upon grace. We saw and we've embraced the person of God. And this little Greek word, grace upon grace, indicates fresh grace replaces grace received, and it will do so perpetually. And so the salvation brought by the word is defined in terms of inexhaustible grace as wave follows one wave after another. And 
some have even translated grace answers to grace. Grace ever new, ever greater, one measure after another. Every day, every hour, the banks are full of grace. One blessing after another. Grace in place of grace. I love how it seems that way with waves when you're on the shore, that the wave comes and it seems to recede, it recedes, and then another takes its place, and another takes its place. That's the picture of God's grace in your life, if you trust in Jesus Christ. That's what you can expect every single day. That's why I love the title of John Piper's book, Future Grace. You look to the future, it's grace. What do, I, what do I look forward to tomorrow? Grace. What about the next day? Hmm. Let me give you a guess. Let me give you a hint. It starts with G. <laughs> Ends with E. What about the next day? Mm-hmm. Uh, what about next week? Grace upon grace. Brother, sister, is that how you define your life? Is that how you look at life? Think of, think of that capturing your heart. And it's hard to be captured by that grace. It is. We're difficult people to work with. It takes God's sovereign power to even orient us toward this grace and, and to work in us so that we welcome this grace and we expect this grace. We count on this grace. And we get, are expecting and excited about grace. Even in the midst of tragedy and loss, there's this glimmer. But this is part of his grace somehow. Somehow through this horrible thing that's happened to me that just paralyzes me, God's grace is going to come to me and is coming to me. Grace defines my life. Not tragedy, not death, not loss. Grace defines my life even in the midst of these terrible things that we endure because we live in a broken world. Perhaps you could look at it this way. In a, in a way, when tragedy happens, maybe you could think of it, that's just the wave pulling back. But the next wave's coming. The wave is coming. And it pulls back as a means to set me up for another wave of grace. In fact, it's through this tragedy and because of this tragedy that I'm going to enter into another aspect of his grace and perceive another aspect of his grace. I put it this way a lot to myself. I'm, this will help me walk into a new room of his grace I've never been in before. But it's all Grace. We've all moved to the stunning seashore of grace. That's where we live and work and play. That's where we have our fellowship with each other. It's on the seashore of grace. And isn't this again, Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, especially as you see it in Christ. This God who would die for you, his love's never going to cease for you. It's never going to come to an end. His grace is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Finally, a critical application. 
There's a critical beginning with Moses and the revelation of God's name, critical fulfillment in Christ. But there's a critical application for each of us. See, if we see life as a deprivation or as loss or what I don't have in comparison of what others have or what I wanted to have, then I'm losing the capacity to see or hear or feel these waves of grace that are coming to me one after another. My life is not defined by blessing after blessing. It's defined by loss after loss after loss. But here's the catch. What he's giving is himself. What he's giving is himself. Deeper dependence upon him. Deeper fellowship with him. Deeper enjoyment of him. More wonderful refreshment in his presence. A greater likeness to him which can, is our only happiness, you understand, because it's the restoration of our true, hum, true humanity being made in his image. Our true shalom, our true peace is to be like God. That's the only hope for happiness, is to be more and more like God who loves in such a magnificent way. The capacity to love others in any and every situation, including the worst situations. That's likeness to God, and that's happiness, and that's the catch. He's not working necessarily for your physical happiness, although ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth, absolutely, he's committed to that, and he's going to bring it about because all sin and misery in this world will be removed. But in this life, he's about your character. And brother and sister, if you're not about your character, about becoming more like Christ, I have to say the Bible has no deal for you. There's no deal. There's no exchange. There's nothing the Bible would offer you. Because the Bible not only does it say You're not going to face tribulation. It tells you, you will face tribulation. You will, Jesus is up front. If if I suffered, you're going to suffer. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. That's part of the bargain. But here's what you get. You get more of me, and you get to be more like me. Deal? Deal? And greater and greater happiness. As Jesus said, I've told you these things, John 15, so that you might have my joy and that your joy would be full. He's after your joy, but it might not be what you think is joy. (laughs) One of the possible problems of not recognizing his grace is that you don't really want him. Kind of like the Israelites in the wilderness. Imagine having Yahweh all to yourself in the wilderness. You don't have to worry about your food. It's given to you every day. It created a kind of paradise in the wilderness. Even with the surroundings, it's a paradise of fellowship with God, of feasting on God. Kind of like being brought into a kind of heaven before heaven. 
You get to focus on God. Tension and delight and enjoyment of Yahweh, the symbol of the tabernacle dwelling with them. It's called the tent of meeting, the tent of meeting with God. But in the end, all they could think about was the food they were missing in Egypt. They didn't want God. They wanted their stuff. They wanted their comforts. Even if it meant slavery. Even if it meant the horrible work they were under. At least we would have good food. They were not full of joy, but full of self-pity. They saw this whole thing as one big whopping loss in the presence of God. And I have to thank Kay for this illustration. You know, give credit where credit is due. Um, But imagine Annie, you know, the story of Annie. And she gets to Daddy Warbuck's house in which she's got everything. Richest man world, you know. I mean, anything and everything she would want and have. More importantly, even she had the love of Daddy Warbucks instead of the neglect, the hatred, the, the utter disdain of Miss Hennigan who ran the orphanage. Now imagine being taken out of that terrible orphanage under that terrible woman and being put in Daddy Warbuck's house. And all you do is just mope around every day thinking, I wish I still had, I wish I was still with Miss Hennigan. You're like, are you out of your mind? Well, there was this kind of gruel soup that I got kind of used to, and I really like to have that gruel soup. You know, you can't even imagine why you would want to go back. And somebody looking at the Israelites here would say, what are you concocting a reason for abandoning in the, being in the presence of this glorious God and having him all to yourself? You see, what would it be that you'll choose instead of grace upon grace for the rest of your life? See, that's really the question. Who will you live for beside this God who would sacrifice everything so that he can pour out his love in your life every day and forever? What's more important to you than that? That's really the challenge, the critical application for you, for me. For everyone here, will I continue to give myself up to this glorious God gladly and give him more and more of my life as, I, as it's brought to bear, as I understand my sin deeper and more and more deeply so that I can give myself up to him and to enjoy more and more the, the joy, the, the greatness of his forgiveness. So will you have him? He's offered to you in this way? Or would you turn away from him? And you can imagine a father who sacrifices his son in such a costly way. 
how he's going to look upon what will these people do with my son? And these words from Psalm 2, the father speaking of the son in Psalm 2, and he says, kiss the son, that is, show affection to the son, trust the son, give yourself to the son, kiss the son, lest you perish in the way. And those are the options for us, to embrace this joy and this love or perish in the way. Let us pray. Oh Lord, move our hearts, win our hearts, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Woo us so that in joy and love we will give ourselves up to Christ. We will trust him for the forgiveness of our sins and trust him to indwell us by his Holy Spirit and change us into his own image throughout all of life so that we may more and more walk in his love and show forth his love. Oh Lord, give us grace to give ourselves up to you. We ask this for Jesus' glory. Amen.